Hi, this is Sarah. If you like this episode of Let's Talk About Sects, you can listen to my audiobook, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. The audiobook will be available on Audible, Apple Books, Google, and Kobo from the 28th of June. A link is in the show notes. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Grace Adams and Poya Alpha are two sisters from New Zealand who joined David Koresh's Branch Davidians in the 1980s along with their younger sister Rebecca. Poya left the sect in early 1990 and Grace in late 1991. Rebecca remained with the group at the compound in Waco, Texas and perished in the fire of April 1993. Grace and Poya have recently released their memoir called Harkin O Daughter and I caught up with them on a recent trip to Auckland. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. This month's episode is a little different to usual, as last month's two-part episode left me with less spare time than usual to work on researching the next sect. So instead I'm bringing you a fascinating conversation that I had with two former Branch Davidians on a recent trip to Auckland, New Zealand. Grace and Poya are setting up a support group for cult survivors in New Zealand, and just this year self-published their book Harkin O Daughter. I'll provide the links to where you can find a copy in the show notes. Grace and Poya shared with me their process in co-writing their book, their memories of their sister Rebecca, their impressions of David Koresh and how they came to be under his spell and joined the Branch Davidians, what got them out of the cult while their sister remained, and their journey to recovery. They were both so generous with their time and have hopes that sharing their experiences will help others in similar situations, as well as help those outside to understand how these kinds of high-demand groups often seem to operate. Before we continue, a content warning. This episode will deal with issues that some people may find disturbing related to controlling behaviours, emotional and physical abuse, including of children, suicide and murder. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening too. Hi, 
Just quickly, if you haven't listened to episode 8 of season 1 about the Branch Davidians, it may be worth having a listen to that one first to give you a bit of background to Grayson Poyer's story. If you skipped that one because you already know a fair bit about the group, a couple of things that are referred to in our conversation relate to when Grace was confined by David Koresh for four months between June and September of 1991, after she began hearing a voice in her head that instructed her to do and say strange and sometimes dangerous things. Instead of sending her to hospital, Koresh had her locked up in a cabin, under guard, for four months. Grace believes that her mental condition was directly related to her experiences, and in Harkin Daughter, she says, quote, There were a lot of horrible things that happened to me during my confinement which are too graphic for me to mention. These, and what I tell in my story, are what caused me to behave in a psychotic way. To end her confinement, Grace sent a message to Koresh that her visa had expired, knowing that the last thing he wanted was the authorities sniffing around the compound. The day he received her message, Koresh said that God had given him permission for her to be allowed to leave. After this, Grace spent some time in Mills Peninsula Hospital in San Francisco. Grace was previously known as Doreen, but changed her name during her recovery process in the aftermath of leaving the sect. She says to, quote, re-establish who I was and celebrate who I had become. We spoke for almost two hours, and I found both Grace and Poya to be absolutely lovely people. It was hard to imagine the horrible personality Grace says she took on whilst in the Branch Davidians. The two have obviously been through a lot, and there's plenty to be learned from them. So without further ado, please find following the edited highlights of our chat. Do you know what hearken means? Hear. Yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's to listen and to pay attention, to behold even. Uh, it's an old English word for those, you know, hearken, Because we used come. King James. Mm. So that this term was used a lot and, and used to justify why he could take any woman, as his any wife. girl, mm. as his wife because of this. It's, yeah. it's found mm. in Psalm 45, but yeah. he's taken it out of context, mm. as, yeah. as they do. The first question I had was, how did you how did you come upon the decision to write the book? I'll let Grace okay. answer that because she was the one that had always wanted to write the book <laughs> shortly after uh, the compound went. Yeah, so I came out in 91, and the event happened in 93. I came out, I was really angry. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff that I needed to process, so I, I tried to verbally tell people this is what was going on, this was what was done to me, and it was just frustrating because my brain just wasn't sinking with my mouth and it, everything just sounded, you know, like a lot of nonsense. And um, so eventually I just started journaling and then as I journaled, you know, all the stuff was coming out and then I realised, I I think I would like to write a book and that was in the 90s, you know, in the uh, early 90s before, you know, 93 event happened and then that came and went and I was still thinking, all right, but it never did happen because 
I, I didn't have time. I didn't sort of know where to start until I came to New Zealand, you know, because I was living in the States. Um, I ran some cult awareness classes at our church, and uh, Poya came to the first one. She didn't say anything, but it wasn't until this year that we did the thing again that we decided, hey, you know, we, we can write our story. Yeah, we have something to um, help other people. So yeah, I was wondering about the, the process of writing the book. Uh, a couple of things, you know, you alternated the chapters, so how did you kind of, did you come up with a subject for each part and then kind of both, what was the process? Well, the process was, as I said, I already had something there, so I had pre-put headings and even write down to what I was going to call the book, and it wasn't it wasn't Harkano Daughter, it was something else. <laughs> it was called The Message. You know, cause that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I had the headings and we deci- I, I decided, oh, let's do it on Google Docs. And then that just got a frustrating. And I think I delete some of Poya's things in the process and, and some of my things. So, <laughs> And I thought, no. And so we decided, um, why not just type our stories separately? So that's what happened. And it was great. And then when we saw it, you know, come together as one book, oh, yeah, that's what we want. Yeah. Yeah, and it really, um, it worked really well kind of seeing it from the two different perspectives and kind of swapping between them. It was really interesting to read it that Mm. way too. Oh, good. We wanted to get our story across with our voice. Mm. Yeah, that's what we really wanted was that we had been through the experience, not the publisher or the ghostwriter or anybody else. So that's why we wanted to um, retain the authenticity of our story through our own voices. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's why we didn't go for a regular publisher. How long did it actually take to write all up? I would say about um, a year and, and a half, we were we had probably written the most within seven months. Mm. So about and this the, time last year. This time mm. last year. There were places where we didn't want to go and revisit again because of the emotions that it would bring up. So we did a lot of crying together, mm. laughing about the ridiculous things that, you know, was happening in them that we were accepting, um, some of the, the things that just um there was stuff that we just couldn't um verbalize and put into words so we had to just get it all out and talk about it first before Mm. we could write about it and once we we started um excavating those areas we we felt less less um would you say yeah less burdened and and we felt we could freely write it without getting too much uh detail into in the book we we felt it was part of writing the, the process was to unload and download and and be healed and get get the stuff out of our system because mm. we knew there was there were things there that we had not really we had kept to ourselves but we needed to get out and we were being together was the best way that we could get it out because we knew what we were talking about mm. no one else did the only reason why we got it done it quickly within yeah. 7 months mm. was because we put a deadline we placed it in like we've got to get it ready before April nineteenth anniversary, the twenty fifth <laughs> anniversary, which was this year. Yes, yes. 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 So, the, oh, how about we get it out before the anniversary? Yes. Yeah. yeah, we wanted the book ready before we were going to um, 
visit visit the um, Waikato, Texas. Mm. So uh, that's what really got us into gear. Mm. However, you know, our our venues weren't weren't um, weren't quite the the best venues to write a book. And because we have a busy household, we um, couldn't do it at home. So we did it in McDonald's, <laughs> library, our brother's house when he was away. <laughs> when he was house, we were house, house sitting. <laughs> and the church. And the church. It just goes to show you actually can write a book, you know, on the run, so to speak. <laughs> and we were both working full time, nine yeah. to five. Yeah, you know, so everything was about the book. Mm, mm, mm. But we didn't get it finished in April 19. You know, now we see it was a good thing because mm. in there are the photos from the memorial. And it's, so it's current, you know. Mm. But I, I had been, and I mentioned in the book, to Waco a few times mm. before, mm. Um, mostly on my own. And then some of it was with the, you know, telling my story to different media. But that was the first time Poya had been back. So it was since, yeah, since, since 1990. So wow. that was a long time after. How did that feel for you? I felt okay. I felt I had moved on. I felt um, uh, excited that I was going to see what it was like now. Um, I knew it would be different. Uh, and it made me uh, stand there and have a sense of, okay, this is where it, it ends. It was closure for me, you know. And I also felt, um, you know, just wondering what, what, what would have gone through Rebecca's mind as I stood there looking our at sister. the... Um, yeah, our sister. Mm. And how now there's a chapel there that's been built over the, the ground where the compound had been, um, how, how she would have felt in those last moments of her life. So it was closure, and I was really thankful that I was able to have that opportunity to just go and leave everything that, that was connected with the group right there. So I wondered if you, if you feel like it, don't feel obliged, but if you'd like to share a bit with me about who she was and mm. what kind of a person she was. I know her better than Grace did because um, this was before Grace came back from her overseas trip. I was with Rebecca most of the time and we, we, yeah, we did get quite close. So, so what's the age differences then? So these uh, eight years between Rebecca and I, yeah. and so there'd be ten years with you and Rebecca. So it's about mm-hmm. just under yeah. ten years, yes. She was just such a fun, loving um, young woman, yes, and she was just so adventurous and sometimes daring, you know, in her ad- uh, spirit of adventure. Uh, but, yeah, she was somebody that I, I would love loved being with and enjoyed and she would watch me as a mother because uh, I had three two young boys then and she loved spend, spending time with the two her two nephews um, who were about um, three and five at the time uh, she looked up to me a lot she's I, I feel that um, she saw me as a mentor she was very very close and um, so that that was her nature was to learn as much as she could watching me as a mother, as a leader, and as a as a Christian. She took on the same faith as I did, knowing that um, the Lord Jesus is her saviour and that, you know, God is, is the ultimate one that uh, she needs to give her allegiance 
to and also uh, provide her purpose and plan in her life. So that was basically her ideology, I would say, mm. was just to follow her saviour. It's a paradox in the sense that this is what actually got her, draw, drew her into the group the same way it drew me, the same way it drew Leslie, the same way it drew Grace. I didn't fully see that beauty which Poi had seen in her prior to, you know, um, joining the Davidians. But you know, oh, she was so lovely, you know, mm. loved life. Um, you know, she I, she you probably were, would have had her own travel agency by now because, mm-hmm. you know, she liked to travel as well, like me. <laughs> she was also her surrogate mum as she oh, was growing up. So yeah, that's and, you, you know, in the Samoan culture we help with, you know, our siblings, because our mum was working, our dad was working, so I kind of raised her, you know, so I was, yeah, there, and she was, you know, took care of her, and then, you know, as I got older, as point, I left and did my travelling, and so she pretty much had her teenage years, tweens and teenage years with you. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and thank you for um, asking that question because we don't often talk about her no. when people mm. interview us mm. and I think it's nice to sort of give her that honour and, and sharing who she really was before she became the cult personality. How much do, did you feel that he really believed in what he was teaching and how much do you feel was a manipulation of someone who was just kind of feeding off of the power of having these people under him. Did you have any impression of that at all? Um, both of what you, the, the former and the latter of what you shared, both applied. Uh, he, um, I believe he was genuine in his, in his early days of, of you know, wanting to, uh, you know, do what was right and fulfil his purpose in life. And as time went on, and we can, we can say that because we were there in 1986, then we went back in 1994 years difference we noticed the difference yes so um he was not the quiet mild bible study prophet that he was in 1986 when we went to waco in 1990 he was not the same person Mm. so there was a that transition time that we weren't there we could compare, whereas those that were there like a frog in a hot water, mm. it doesn't know that it's getting hotter and hotter. The people were there and mm. they were, I believe that it really, it empowered him to see that the people were starting to give over their sense of reason, everything pretty much, their judgment as time went on. Uh, so yeah, that manipulation came out like... Yeah. I couldn't believe he was showing Jim Jones movies too while, while I was here. I didn't go see it, but Rebecca told me mm. that, you know, she was in his room and they were watching, you know, the Jim Jones and he would say to them, oh, we're not a cult, you know, there's just no way we're not a cult. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, while he was showing them the Jim Jones uh, tragedy. He was showing movies of uh, war. What's it called? Um, something Ryan. Saving Saving, those kind of movies. He was, yeah, yeah, all the war things. You know, when we go to war, we have no fear. So this was his, what he built up his, um, 
his message to be is that we had to be trained soldiers in God's um, army. Yeah, then the 93 happened, prophecy fulfilled. Didn't I tell you? The government will come in and they will, yeah. So it was basically, yeah, everything that happened in uh, 1993 was, and that's why people still believe in him. Current members are still. He told them. He told them that the government will come in. Mm -hmm. And we need to be ready, get ready for war. Yeah, so I think initially the intention was good, but mm. I guess power corrupts, you know, and yeah. you could see how people were just giving over their... Stroking the ego. ...their properties mm. there, and so in came the mind control, the manipulation, the, mm. yeah, um, that narcissism. And this yeah. is what we need to educate people on, is uh, what to look out for with individuals that are made that, you know, that have those potentials to, you know, become a monster. And um, and I think it's important that, you know, what we went to in the weekend is just um, amazing how, how it can be really anybody. Mm. <laughs> you know, the, the fact is it can be, we have the potential, everyone has the potential not only to be vulnerable but to become the bully. Yeah, g- mm. given the right... Um circumstances Circumstances. so you know you have broken up in your relationship vulnerable your marriage um you've been abused dies Mm. you've been abused nowhere to live you're away from home Mm. strange town these nice smiley people come they talk to you and they do favors for you and then all of a sudden you know your generally your defenses that you would normally have in place are gone you know you're like, well, these people are nice people so I don't need to be suspicious of of um, of them and their intentions and I think that's a really good point that a lot of people miss as well is that um, almost every time all of these groups are full of really wonderful people yeah. and who are genuinely yeah. wonderful no yeah. no one joins a cult nobody yeah mm. um, they join what they see, what they hear, and they're good things. And then all of a sudden, before they know it, you know, their their boundaries and everything that they they valued, you know, they've been stripped away gradually. And and they mm. see all these people who they care about and respect um, continue to maybe exhibit behaviours that they would usually disagree with. Yes, and then, they're mm. accepting of it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's cognitive dissonance, they call it, Yeah, where you see what's wrong, Inside you, the real you, you can see it. But because you've been conditioned now uh, through um, you know, the manipulation, mm-hmm. sleep deprivation, control Food, of your diet, mm-hmm. um, time. you know, time, even the, down to the very personal things like how much toilet paper are you allowed to use, that kind of thing, you know, and you're living in the environment and you see everybody's conforming. You're the only one that's thinking different. No, I must be, yeah, I'm, I've got to join them. You know, that's that group dynamics as well. Mm. And, oh, sorry, and another thing is that you've got your own family in there mm. and they're doing exactly what you feel that, oh, it's wrong. Mm. I, you know, maybe I should stay in for my daughter, my son, mm. my sister, my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you have a narcissistic, <laughs> a narcissistic um, predator, he knows all the ways and how to you know, deceive, manipulate and exploit. And then when he's got you, it's just any time now, it's just 
he, he will take you down. If he sees that he's going to be taken down, and that's what Koresh did. As soon as he knew he was in the corner, he wasn't going to let any one of those people out because he knew what was going to happen to him. They're going to suffer the same fate as him. And rather than let them out, he was going well, to keep they, them Well, they were trained to the point where, you know, like the Jim Jones mm. thing, you don't go out unless I tell you you go out. Mm. You know, so they were trained to that point where until prophet says go we don't go mm. however there were the few that did come mm. out um fortunately you know they had sent you know they were clear enough to know it's burning i need to leave mm. you know as the, the the mothers of those children and the other adults that stayed and children they knew well david didn't say go so why you know why am i going i need to stay mm. 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 He had let some people out before that, though. He did, yeah. He let out um, some of the children of some of the members that had died and also... His own children. Yeah, Mm. and some elderly women. Mm. And he's very erratic in his decisions, too. Uh, That was done because of some negotiation with the the FBI. Mm. And so I guess they were trying to... He was going to... That was was, a deal. there Mm. There was a deal made. And so unless he... He did Air that. Time. He wasn't going mm. to do anything to let anybody out. Oh, they were just bargaining. Yeah, and then he pushed the boundaries Tools. again. He said after he had the airtime, he didn't do what so they were God asking. Said so, it wasn't well, God time. said it's not the time. So <laughs> mm. that's that's a psychopath. You know, he just makes his own rules up as he goes. I think I read somewhere there was a theory that he also only let out the people who wouldn't be as strong in the yeah, war. Yeah, who, who, didn't, who, who didn't serve his purposes for that time. So mm. the old people and then mm. some of the children from other mm. other uh, families and, and parents. He would, mm. But his own children, most of them, or yeah. pretty much all of them, stayed yeah, all in of them. Mm. Do you think that there is anything that um, family or friends can, can do or say, like, what's the best thing for them to do if they have a family member who is in a group that's similar to this one? I think education, you know, just like ourselves, we had to educate ourselves and understand what was done to us, and then we realised the enormity of, of what was done to us, and so too, and this is why we do the cult awareness is look out for these things you know um this these are the types of things that these leaders do knowing how to um, approach the loved one that's still in a group you know what to do what not to do you know don't say you're on a cult you know even though you know they're on a cult there are other ways you know continue to stay in touch with them because when or if they ever do have a situation that happens in there Hopefully they'll know to reach out to the family or friends, whereas if you've cut that off, Mm. they may not. You know, they may feel, I have nowhere to go, so I might as well stay here. I also mentioned in the book that when um, Rebecca and Grace had shunned, cut me off, I still kept writing letters. Mm. I kept writing letters just to give them memories. (laughs) Well, well, I was, I thought, I got... smiley face in the letters, I thought, that's annoying. Yeah, it just kind of, with the state of mind that they're in, it's just like, get out of here, you know. And, um, you know, But it didn't bother me. I just said I was just going to do everything that I could and say anything that I could apart from challenging their, you know, their beliefs because I knew what they believed in. I just wanted them connected with family, with memories, with, with love because they were conditioned. You know, you no longer have a family. 
I am the family. I am your, yeah, your everything. It's really difficult. It's really, I don't know, 95%. You only have 5% really of uh, likelihood that you will, you know, touch on some chord in their heart. You almost have to sort of stab in the dark to see what will get you out. Yeah. yeah. In some cases, what he does to you will get you out because you think, <laughs> oh, that's enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. Enough is enough, Yeah. And it may not be with confinement. It may be with just watching your kids being beaten and beaten and beaten. And then you say, oh, that's enough. I'm going to take my kids now and go. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing. Or the it's marriage. Or the marriage that. situation where I decided I'd stay. And then Leslie knew exactly what to say because I was a mother at heart. And when he said what he said, it was, yes, okay, I'm going, <laughs> you know. All I could see were my two children in my mind. And that drew me. It's the heart that... You have had yeah. to appeal to yeah, their to heart. heart. Yeah, to the real person. Mm, to the real <laughs> yeah. you. Who, mm-hmm. You know, the identity that's yeah. been stripped from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still there, in, yeah, but in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you almost have to coax, yeah. find some way of, of getting the real you and connecting with, with that. I was not nice. You know, my, my cult personality was not nice to my family, to my parents, to my siblings that weren't part of we I wasn't nice. Yeah, probably Rebecca was nicer than me. <laughs> but I was not nice. And um, they were still, you know, though I knew they were hurt, and this is mainly my parents I'm, I'm speaking to, they continued to love me, continued to treat me as if, you know, I'm the daughter that they knew, you know, and that's all they knew, and that was it. And, and, you know, I think with that love, with that unconditional love, it starts, that iceberg starts to melt in places, Mm. yeah. And I think that's what was going on eventually as I came out, you know, I had nothing and I, you know, just a mess. They continued to love me where I was at. Mm-hmm. With who you were before, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they didn't treat me like this horrible person, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and that's um, where it's hard for tough for families it's very hard. because yeah. you know they oh what's going wrong with her you know yeah. oh and you know and they could retaliate and they don't want her around, but you know the hard part is to love somebody. It's Continue. just if you think of it as a child, you don't like their behaviour, but you still love them because they're your child. They've come through. Uh, uh, some trauma, extreme trauma, and they're working their way back into society, into family again. You both mentioned animals as helpful to oh, your it's great. recovery. Yeah. 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 So. yeah, same thing. Unconditional, you know. Mm. You can, they're yeah. not judging you. They're sitting yeah. there and they're listening. Just listening yeah, they're and, just yeah, there. Yeah. They're just present. And it's and, almost like, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also the fact that you are... We look after them, you know, yeah. we're feeding responsibility, them. Responsibility, you know, yeah, get it, back it takes you outside of who, learning responsibility. what you're going through. You yeah. get out of your head and <laughs> care for something else. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah. that's where mm. it starts to yeah, stop you from, oh, poor Always me. Always looking and, yeah, inward and, and thinking, but, oh, yeah. hard done by. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Depression. Yeah, yeah, but I had, I did have a pity party. Uh, I needed it. Mm. Yeah, but but um, when I got bored only, with it, <laughs> you can only go for so long. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. yeah, so it helped having the two animals to look after mm. and just, you know, goals started because I'm a very goal-oriented person. You know, before I left, I was a very mm. goal-oriented person and that kind of gone out the window because that was my goal. Mm. You know, all the goals that I had became this big, you know, be part of the group. Mm. And then when I came out, I just just wasn't sure where, where to go anymore. Yeah, animals are amazing, mm. eh? They're so yeah, therapeutic. They're so, yeah. so all these little things really help, you know, the music, <laughs> the instruments. Yeah. And then uh, a change in career, you know, mm. that that was a good thing because be, before Waco came, I, I was um, just tempting because I needed to be available to, to leave just like that if we were told. So that's mm. why I never held a permanent job. And so that eventually came into the picture, you know, change of career, and that was that was good. When I was playing the guitar and you were unwell? Oh, that was really good. Mm. Um, see, we're, our family's quite musical, and we've grown up with singing. dancing and music <coughs> and singing, so uh, Poya was just pulled out a guitar. This was during the time I was still, you know... you just come out back of it. from... from um, yeah, and from uh, she would just play, and, oh, this was just... Um, just kind of like calm, soothing. it's very calming, soothing. Mm-hmm. So definitely music has some sort of something there too, you know, helps. Yeah, you credited that hospital with really helping Oh, you they were amazing. Time. They were absolutely amazing. Um, uh, they obviously didn't know what, what was going on with me and why I, I ended up the way I did, but, you know, they were great, really mm. patient. You know, I mean, I, I do remember a lot of the the group sessions and you know they were simple groups at the OT and um, if I decided I didn't want to sit there they were fine they weren't going to hold me to it you know I, there were times that I did walk out I'm, I'm bored here you know so I'd go and go do something else um, and then I might come back so you know there was yeah they, they was were freedom to go in and yeah. out which was different to the cold and that's what I needed <laughs> that's why yes. and they didn't know that yeah. you know I needed that ability to walk out and not make your get choices. castigated for it. Where I know we were just speaking before, I think when you took the call about how um, sometimes people, are, when they come out of a cult, they're treated as if they are experiencing mental illness when in fact it's actually some trauma. It, it's a result of what you went through in the, in the cult, mm, yeah. Because mm. it, it definitely it sounded like some sort of psychosis or schizophrenia mm, even mm, that you mm. had this voice that yeah. was speaking to you. yes. That's just the your brain um, coping, trying to cope with what's a coping was, mechanism yeah, going mm. on with you or being done to you. So, I really felt, and this is really strange because I really felt I was observing, uh, and I let it happen. You know, I kind of came to the back, and I sort of okay, you lead. You know, I let voice come forward while I observed and it was kind of funny because and, and it felt safe in that background mm-hmm. I felt really safe you know I thought well here I am you know someone else is taking control of me mm-hmm. and and this is good you know they can't hurt me back here mm-hmm. so it, it really felt safe back there mm-hmm. and it was that the letting that other part of you take yeah. control it was that that voice could make these decisions that yeah that's right yeah mm-hmm. and and the funny thing was voice was very bold, you know, doing things that I wouldn't dare do. You know, my, believe it or not, I'm quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Ask her. 
<laughs> yeah, my personality is not. Yeah, I'm. I'm not out there where his voice was, and and that was funny because it was kind of like the opposite that I I was there. You know, at at you know in the group. Yeah, the problem was that voice would get you into trouble. But that was the thing. Yeah, I got in trouble. <laughs> You call it, then, call and then it kind of, and sometimes it was dangerous, you know, the mm, things that was oh, asked yes. of me to do. So, mm. you know, there's that fine line between fun and self harm. Uh, mm. this, this doesn't sound like something I should be doing. And I wonder with um, the kind of putting you in captivity, mm. um, do you think that was David Koresh was, um, he could see that something. Was not right. right yeah. To oh, absolutely. Because he it. knew, he knew my personality, and that's why he said to everybody, you know, it's just the same, you know, person that we know. Same quiet yeah, door. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So um, he knew, and the the guard on duty also said to me, you know, this is funny that you're this way because every time certain people come into the group, they end up like you. You know, they just go crazy you know every time they're near David there's something that happens to them yeah so you know he was saying you know this is not the first time this has happened to people Mm. to a person on David Koresh himself I was reading in the book that I think one of you or maybe both of you were kind of not that impressed when you first it was me (laughs) (laughs) and you as well yeah at the beginning at the beginning yes yeah Yeah, Mm. I was kind of like oh this is a prophet (laughs) yeah I guess we all have some preconceived Uh, ideas mm. of what a prophet should look like but Mm. we were taking it from the bible version (laughs) I'm expecting long long robe robe. (laughs) hair the beard (laughs) do you have the beard no he didn't have a beard then some nerdy looking spectacles in (laughs) preconceived ideas there was nothing I mean how y'all doing you know (laughs) (laughs) twang you know (laughs) but no it was uh definitely not my idea of what a prophet should look like but then hey oh what is as soon as he started mm. about the bible it's kind of oh okay now i get it i know okay i know exactly why they're drawn to him Mm. you know he was it was just fascinating to to listen to and Mm. to watch especially if Mm. you've been brought up with knowing what the bible what the bible what is in the bible and uh yeah that's what probably enthralled and that's called thraldom enthralled everybody was just him being able to. And in Isaiah 55, it says this in Zechariah chapter 6, in, in Matthew 28. And he appeared you know, to he, know how he, to harmonize yeah, the different scriptures. He, he knew how to connect them all, and he wouldn't be reading, he'd be quoting word verbatim. So that was what. And, and so I think that appealed to um, what we were looking for. We were looking to grow, well, I was looking to grow in the study of God's word, of the study of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And here was someone that, wow, I knew it from back to cover to cover. And I said, I can I can do this. But, it, you know, then it came down to the mundane things. We, we I just wasn't sure how, you know, how to connect him, especially when I knew the qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ as being mild and meek and, <laughs> and also loving. And caring and empath, you know, have empathy, sympathy, and all the 
love love qualities uh, it just didn't seem to match and that kind of got sort of covered up with what we were hearing and watching of him and what he could do so um thrilled him through us <laughs> and um yeah, he was a real actor too. You know? He was a uh, he, he was, was a drama king. He wow. was amazing to it. You know, he could yeah. do switch from one emotion different to roles. The next. You yeah. know, he would play different roles, mm. and it was just like watching an actor. You know, just just a, yeah, everything. You know, because I'm very visual, and you know, as he was out there acting different parts of the Bible and how people reacted, you know, he would actually bring it all out and we were just sitting there, you know, just mm. um, amazed, mm. you know. So, you know, he's this hippie-looking guy and he's got all these different giftings, you mm. know, talents, and he was using them, you know, mm. to draw us in, and he did. And there were also times where he would show his compassion. There were uh, times when we would be, uh, our shuttle bus was travelling from California to Palestine, Texas and he'd see some homeless person he said just to stop the bus and he'd just go over and he, does anybody got any food for this young lady you know and, and that's the kind of thing that drew us you know we thought wow you know love but then he'll go to the extreme and and he'd be beating up his son with a wooden spoon you know relentlessly so you know it we were just so mixed up that we said, oh, there's a God. He, and then he would say, there's a God of love. And then there's a God of judgment of, you know, there's a, there's an angry God because you can't do as you're told. We had, had handed all our sense of judgment and reason over. He, he just played games. He started playing games and acting on the stage when somebody did something wrong, he'd be, God, do I have to put up with this? You know, how long? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then he'd woo you again. He'd woo people. So and it's up just and saying, down. Your yeah. emotions are yeah. constantly up and yeah. down. Yeah. You know, you'd be, oh, yeah. this is great. And then you'd just drop you mm-hmm. right down, mm-hmm. call you a nothing, and then, mm-hmm. and then you bring you back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's constantly your emotions were up and down. Information got to him and you wonder, oh, how did he know? Oh, of course, somebody told him, you know. And those things, those personal things that belong to you are no longer personal. When your boundaries, your own personal boundaries are first moved and moved further and then broken down, you're just, you're a puppet. You're, you're, you've been won over and uh, you are capable of doing anything he tells you to do. If you, he needed somebody hurt, you would go and hurt that person if he told you and it's not you. So that's how he would get his henchmen to, you know, um, paddle somebody if they stepped out of line. Yeah, they had a one, one for the men, one for the women. Yeah, so I, f- I feel for those people. They, I know where they came from. It wasn't their fault. They were manipulated. Mm. And There's only one person accountable is that predator. I, I know this doesn't sound a good thing to say, but I'm glad he died in that fire, but he was so cowardice that he took everybody in there with him. This, this was a very tragic thing that happened. Yes, we uh, we both got wounded in some way as a result. However, 
I'd like to say that through the pain and through the hurt that we've gone through, we're in a position now to help others who who are needing any sort of help in this area. We're in a a position to be a resource, you know, and I've always wanted to be a resource because in New Zealand at that time uh, there was a you know cult watcher here, but they had were just starting up, so they weren't equipped you know, to help us. So we had to try and figure out our own way. And if we can be a resource that we've never had, you know, I think, you know, this is this is a good thing that's come out of all this. My hope is that people would read the book and pass it on to others. And who knows, you know, who knows who's out there who may need this help. So we, we would like to also show people, hey, you know, there is hope. You can actually come out of a bad situation and survive and, and live not, life. not just mm. survive but you know live your life again mm. Mm. but a bit wiser <laughs> yeah lessons learned yeah. yeah lessons learned yeah so we're glad the the book our story is finally um mm. out there Mm. And um, that was the whole purpose of you know mm. writing our story mm. is is to help others, and and also it was therapeutic for mm. both of us. Oh, it was great writing it. I, you know mm. that was something that I I knew we we needed to go through a lot of healing, but that kind of sped things up because we had to go into into that memory, into those moments, into those struggles and pain and and fear mm. and, and get it out and verbalise it uh, through written script. So those processes weren't, weren't easy and uh, we're thankful that uh, and we encourage others who have been through similar situations to do the same. Even though it's going to be difficult, We've found on this side of it now so much more freeing. We are able to talk about it without too much emotion. And now um, we've, we've cried together. We've let out a lot of stuff. We still, you know, there's still little things, but it's it's um, not. It's a lighter journey now. It's a lighter journey out of it. Yeah. Mm. And we're we're thankful that we did it. And we're just so excited that we can give this resource to those that that will be able to relate to it yeah. because every group may be in a different context but every group went through the same kinds of manipulation exploitation mm. and and fears yeah i was i was also thankful that grace had pulled me in because i had kept a lot of stuff to myself and i didn't want to talk about it i i wanted to just forget about the past and just bury it cover it up but there were things in my life that I was doing that I knew were connected to that, that weren't um, weren't wholesome things. And so when she came back and talked about this book and did the series, it drew me in and I knew, okay, having her here was, was what I really needed. And so I was ready. And when she drew me in, I felt, this is good. I, I felt good about starting a book. And I also got mm. you into it as well. Yeah. So there was a lot of blame, self-blame, um, mm. a lot of guilt, guilt. there yeah. that I had to get rid of and a, a lot of stuff that we had to sort of talk out and talk through. Um, and, yeah, just a lot of forgiveness yeah, that had to take place. So that's it's not just a book. It's, it's, it's our therapy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the therapy that we needed to move forward and to be able to 
not have to repeat our story to everybody that asks us, so what happened? Okay, read the book. (laughs) (laughs) That was basically what was happening. Oh, so what happened? You know, we need to write a book. And so (laughs) it's basically, so that was, here we go. It may not be a big book, but it's, it's, it covers pretty much the, what we wanted people to know. Up till now, we've just been doing cult awareness and that's really for people like yourself who have not been, you know, um, in, in one, one of those abusive groups before. However, um, are wanting to learn and understand more the mm. mindset. We actually have set up, um, a group called GPS Recovery Group. So this group is for former members, um, who have been out for at least four months and are wanting to kind of move ahead or understand how to move ahead. So if people want to find out about that group? They can email cultrecoveryinfo at gmail.com. And there was a book that you, I think you, you both maybe mentioned, or particularly yourself, where that seemed to, you had a lot of extracts that oh, might have been really helpful. Take Back you. Your Life. Yeah, yeah that was Madeline Lallet. Tobias yes. and Jana Lelich. Yeah, we both used that, just we one both, text, yeah. and it was, it, it was the ideal reference book for us to be able to explain what had happened to us. And there's um, also the uh, jargon that's that's in there, uh, like triggers, loaded language, which I didn't know anything about till I started reading that. And that was just during the writing of the book. And how many mm-hmm. years later, you know, oh. I, I kind of have a label for what I was going through. Yeah. So triggers, loaded language, um, cognitive dissonance, um, that kind of thing, you know, and I'm, I was hearing this at the training, and I was like, "Good, I, I understand." We knew some, we had some new ones mm. like gaslighting too. Yeah, that was another lighting. one. Yeah. <laughs> had you heard about that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's just educating yourself. It's it's, it's, it's really important, and um, it just frees you knowing that hey, I, yeah. I wasn't going crazy. And, yeah. Yeah, and and why why this area of life you know so far as abusive groups go is not something big in the media or pretty much anywhere I, I don't know possibly is that shame mm. you know that's attached to it that I could be sucked in mm. so easily which mm. really you're not <laughs> mm. Mm. yeah it's our hope that in starting these groups people know oh okay cult recovery info that's where I go that's who I contact mm. to find out how I can be helped a resource you know, a resource for New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I think it's needed here. We don't have one of these <laughs> groups yeah. here. Mm. Yeah. I was just going to Australia for this conference. It was really good to see, mm. you know, psychologists, and, and they run these once a year, and they're recognising it there, whereas here it's very covert and uh, sort of complacent about groups, mm-hmm. and yet we know of quite a few that mm. are coming through mm. have the potential yeah, so uh, Lalich and Tobias say that they're two authors that both came out of different groups. Oh, they do. They're both former mm. members of different groups, oh. and they've written this book. And so they refer a lot to the gurus of uh, cult um, research, which is Lifton and Margaret Singer. I initially, when I was going to write my book of my own, I was going to call it The Message because we all always referred it to. But as time went on, I... I kind of had this in my mind, you know, this is... I thought, oh, we'll, we'll just call it Hakano Daughter. Mm. So I guess it, it matches with three 
three um, sisters from New Zealand traveled to Waco only to return. So the three sisters were daughters of someone else, and he's calling us um, mm. into his realm. Mm. If you look at the pose, you know, we talk about arm in arm, walking out arm in arm, you know, during some of the... Um, when we went to the chapel, oh, yeah. when we were walking through the airport to yeah, the house, and yeah. arm and arm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Yes. it's just that that bonding through and us walking away towards light. A very special thanks to Grace and Poya for their generosity and openness in sharing their experiences and wisdom with me for this episode. You can find their book, Harkin O Daughter, on bookbaby.com and in many other places now too. The email address provided by Grace and Poya is for support in New Zealand. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, You can find support or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via www.cifs.org.au and you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via www.icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at www.iasp.info. Let's Talk About Sects is researched and presented by Sarah Steele. Sound design and music is by Joe Gould. Head to ltaspod.com for links on how to support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, merchandise or donation and drop us a review on your podcast platform of choice or our Facebook page if you feel like it. Do please mention the show to a friend if you feel they might appreciate it. Thanks for listening, have a lovely festive season, and I hope you'll join me again next episode. Canada may be known as the friendliest country in the world, but make no mistake, it has some of the most shocking criminal cases too. My name is Christy and I host Canadian True Crime. I'm Australian, but I've been living in Canada for many years. Canadian True Crime takes a deep dive into some of Canada's most well-known cases, like the Ken and Barbie killers, Robert Picton the pig farmer, and many smaller cases you probably haven't heard of but are just as fascinating. If you're looking for the facts of the case told in a narrative storytelling format with ambient music, You can find me on your favourite podcast app or social media just by searching for Canadian True Crime. This was a very memorable, shocking and bizarre crime that happened. Seems almost too bizarre to be true. Charged in a bizarre accused of dressing up as a clown. The bizarre twist in this story. The break they needed in this bizarre case. The damage that this man has caused so far. We've never seen anything like this. Anything like this. Anything like this. Welcome to Beyond Bizarre True Crime. 
These are the stories that'll make you wonder if they came from Hollywood, or if Hollywood took it from them. Available on your favorite podcast app, or online at Beyond Bizarre True Crime.